Hello and welcome back to Tachikawa. You're listening to Sakamichi Nights. My name is Matthew Boynton and I'm joined by two other voices around the microphone this week. Welcome back, Daniel Bellamy. Hey, man. And welcome to the pod for the first time, Frank Franco, a renowned homerer from, uh, from America. It's, uh, it's lovely to have you in the studio for this recording. Hey, well, thank you very much, and hopefully not the last time, as mm. I'll, I'll be coming back here at some point. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I, I hope so. Um, the current uh, leading number of appearances for guesting his guest is three. So you're definitely on the leaderboard now. Another, another two, and you'll be, you'll be in the joint lead. Um, Dan, you have been telling me all day that you have a super hot topic <laughs> that you want to open the podcast with. Let it rip. Uh, I, I mean, it's going to come as a surprise to no one, I'm sure. This news rocked literally the world. Not, uh, you know, it kind of displaced anything that's happening in Ukraine and coronavirus and everything else. I'm sure you guys have already heard about this. Have you heard about the big scandal that rocked uh, competitive fishing uh, last weekend? The guy put weights in the fish. So you have heard about it. Yes. I, I thought this is big news, right? I saw a headline, yeah. So this happened in in, uh, in Ohio, actually. It was oh, a Great right. Lakes fishing tournament. Mm. Did you read anything about it? Did you just see the video where these guys almost got murdered by a bunch of fishermen? These buckeyes gone buck wild. You, you know any details about this? My question. Uh, How much do you know about this scandal? I know that uh, there was not a, a small amount of money riding on this competitive fishing right. Yeah. thing, right? There was a, a pretty decent cash prize, and I think the winner also got a boat, uh, which is not cheap. Yeah, so you're kind of rolling some things up together. Basically, these guys had been on a Tiger Woods-esque tear okay. of winning tournaments for mm-hmm. the last couple years. When you say guys, so this is a team? <clears throat> yes. Yeah, a competitive it's, fishing yes. team? Yes. In competitive fishing, I think in general, it's two people in a team. Okay. Uh, I don't mean, I'm no expert, but, uh, but they apparently they have won so much that there's been like rumbles amongst other pro fishermen and people who watch this as a sport, which I guess people do, uh, with people going like that this is unbelievable and something's not right here. Mm. They've been accused of some other stuff. Apparently there's other ways you can cheat at professional fishing by like catching fish ahead of time and hiding them in what is known as a live well and then going to that spot and uh, pulling them out of there. Just buying fish at the supermarket. Buying fish at the supermarket. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Bringing them with you. There's been a lot of suspicious stuff. Apparently, these guys won a tournament, and at the end of a lot of the tournaments, the the guys donate the entire catch to like food banks or you know mm. some some kind of somewhere that's going to put this fish to good use. Mm. And these dudes apparently were always like, you know what, not our fish. Uh, and some people were like, that's because they're old and spoiled, and this might give up the uh, mm. their scam. But this time was straight up like putting fishing weights into the fish as well as uh, like cut up bits of other fish. Okay. So that the weights wouldn't clink around (laughs) when they were weighed. So is that how they persuaded the fish to eat, to swallow the weights? Maybe. They put the the fish in on the scam? Yeah. The fish were accomplices here? Maybe. It was like, here's a filet. It's from that guy who f***ed your wife. Swallow this. (laughs) And there was a huge weight in it. (laughs) It's like, yes, finally, my fish revenge. Okay. There's some confusing mixed metaphors. Anyway, there. the point is, uh, these guys like cheated. I don't know how they you almost, fillet a guy. They almost got their, they almost got their acid beat uh, by a bunch of like angry fishermen who right. kind of knew that this had been going on for right. a long time. Right. Big news. Anyway, big news. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not huge on the, on the fishing stuff. I do enjoy deep sea fishing. But uh, you know, the, I saw the headlines and really it just seemed like clickbait. 
to me. Oh, now you see, this is why we have Frank Franco on, on the pod. Renowned punster, Frank Franco. <laughs> Bruce Brewster? Punster? Uh, so, yes. <laughs> anyway, but it turns out they won boats in previous tournaments. And this tournament was like, if they won this one, that they would win Fisher Dudes of the Year kind of thing. Right. A big cash prize. So they've taken home like two boats worth, oh, like 250 grand kind of crazy, crazy kind of stuff. Uh, so anyway, there's obviously a bunch of stuff going on. The weird thing I learned was like in fish judging in, in these competitions, there's a few components to winning the thing. One is that they weigh your fish. Yep. And the other is that you take a polygraph test administered by like a retired police dude to say, I didn't put weights in these fish or like I caught these on the day. I don't know. I assume they ask you. Does the fish also have to take the polygraph test? <laughs> I <think> so, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that seemed really wild to me. But I got started thinking, like, you know, this seems ridiculously easy to cheat. Literally, they listed up, in the articles I read about it, like, seven ways you could cheat. And they seemed very, very simple. Uh, like, you know, you can use a phone. You're not allowed to use a phone, like, you know, to find spots in the lake to fish. Things like that. You mm -hmm. have to use, like, your fish sense. Yep. Uh, and obviously, you can't stuff the fish full of weights and fillets and things. Mm. Uh, these these things kind of seem self-evident, but like there's a bunch of ways that you can cheat in this. So I was like, can you think of any ways that you could cheat in a beer contest? Mm. This, really, this was a big preamble to that question. You'd be, really be making a rod for your own back if you did that kind yeah. of thing. Good, good, okay, yeah, very nice. I like that. Uh, before we get to that question, I, I want to go back to something that uh, Frank Franco said a moment ago. You said you're really into deep sea fishing. Ah, uh, not really into deep sea fishing. I've, I've been. Quite a bit. So, uh, I what is the biggest fish you ever caught? How heavy was it? Do we have uh, a I don't, polygraph handy? Yeah. Please put this on. So, remember, <laughs> yeah, the, so the polygraph just establishes the baseline, right? Okay. So it's everything after that that really matters. But uh, so first uh, off, is your name Frank Franco? I cannot confirm nor deny that my name is Frank Franco. But we'll go with that for now. Okay. What is the biggest fish you've ever caught, Frank? Biggest fish? Uh, it was probably maybe a, a fifteen-pound mahi. Okay. How much? How heavy is that in in kilograms, Daniel? Uh, what is it? It's it's two point two, isn't it? I'm not sure. You're asking the wrong. It's guy. one kilo to two point two pounds. Is mm. that right? And how many lead weights did you have to put inside it to get it up to that weight? <laughs> About ten pounds worth. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, your question is, uh, how could you cheat at a beer contest? It seems way too easy to cheat at a fishing contest. Mm. Like I feel like you and I could roll up and win some shit, win some boats, uh, based on how easy it is to cheat. Right. So, but it's it strikes me as kind of difficult to cheat at a beer contest. Okay. So, so how would you do it? Is, what is I this is this, this is a, going to be a brainstorming session? <laughs> yes, look, we're going to need this information <laughs> in the future. This is going to be one of those dark, unreleased episodes. <laughs> when, uh, Someone's going to turn it up. I, I feel like this is going to be being played back to me in an interrogation room <laughs> in six months. <laughs> uh, I can think of one way. Uh, a lot of these uh, beer contests are done um, by an audience vote. Mm. Right. You could just pay a bunch of friends or people to go in there and vote up your beer and down all your rivals' beers. Okay. Mm. That's a very simple and straightforward way of cheating. Uh, it involves a lot of people, though, right? You only, need, you only need one rat, one sweaty guy in the audience. Not necessarily. I mean, if, uh, if you already have a pretty decent beer that's going to be in contention, then say there are 100 people Put voting the top. yeah you, you get 15 rats in there mm. um upvoting your beer and downvoting the other beers that that could be enough okay to, to put it over the line mm. it's the gerrymandering of uh, of beer contests right 
American that's the first, tradition. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. How else could you uh, cheat at a beer contest? You grab a beer off the shelf in the store. There you pour go. Pour it in a bottle. That was my turn thought. Turn it in. Yeah. yeah. Pick up something that won, like, last year. Right. And just serve that up. Get a, well, a lot of the times, though, it's being served on draft. So you'd have to get a keg of Heretic and then put it into one of your own kegs. Right. And send that in. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've, I've spent some time in San Diego, right? So you find some hole-in-the-wall brewery that maybe has won an award or two and get a growl full of the beer and pour it into your bottle and turn it into your local homebrew competition. Right. There you go, you win. Okay, so yeah, that would be a way of winning a homebrewing competition. I'm talking high You're stakes. talking high stakes. Yes, like, like boat level. Oof. They give out boats? What would be the equivalent level of prize instead of a boat, a brewing a license? Boat. Full of beer. <laughs> a beer boat. A beer boat. A, a boat part- made of beer. A party boat. Frozen beer. Um, th- those are two ways that immediately spring to mind. Um, th- those are both helping to boost your own beer. Another thing you could do is try and ruin everybody else's beer, right? If you were able to gain access, if you're able to bribe somebody mm. who uh, worked at the bar where it was being hosted, you could kind of oxygenate everybody else's mm. beers. I'm not talking about filling them with cyanide or anything, right. but uh, you could you could spoil that beer. Probably. Right, with cyanide. Or you could just, <clears throat> you could take them all out of the fridge and leave them out overnight, right. Right, and then put them back in the next day. Yeah, um, the perfect crime. The, there's nothing obvious that's been done, but the beer will have been at least slightly spoiled. Maybe enough for you to win the contest. I've heard also, uh, I assume there are measures in place at beer judging contests to stop this, but I've heard also that there's a bit of like tasting fatigue amongst the judges. Right. So I have heard that like beers that go first often score higher than mm. beers that come later. Like mm. it's hard to differentiate in a category if someone has been drinking, you know, 11 double IPAs straight. The 11th one is kind of like you got to really wow somebody, right? right the right. first one with a fresh palate. So if you could somehow convince the stewards to bring your beer out first. Mm. Then you're taking your cheating all the way to the tournament organizers themselves, right? And they might be in on it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sure. Uh, that makes it more tricky. Anyway, you can't just put weights in a beer and you, win a contest. You could put weights in other people's beers. It's true. And people would be like, <laughs> what kind of double IPA is this? It's got weights in it. This Pilsner is very heavy. <laughs> so th- that was the, the topic that you wanted to bring up, the, uh, the fact that your home state is uh, a nest of crookedness and treachery yeah there's been a bunch of cheating in competitive chess recently as mm. well there's a lot of cheating going on it seems like mm. in the world these mm. days uh we're, we're not just here on this podcast to discuss competitive fishing though no. are we uh although you know you've got to say agile in today's one well maybe we could pivot, pivot. we could yeah. pivot into being a competitive fishing analysis podcast clearly um, i know a lot about it yeah you uh you really brought um brought the thunder mm. there um what is this podcast all about uh, it's about beer, is that more specifically? Maybe we should ask Frank Franco, uh, one of our top listeners, um, what is this podcast all about? What do we do on this podcast, I, Frank? I think you guys are here to celebrate beer. Oh, good work. Excellent. Well yes. Yeah. Are we here to review the beers? Absolutely not. Why is that? That's because everything that you have on your tap here is a great and amazing and delicious beer. Mm. Wow. You heard it. He, uh, he's hooked up to the polygraph. Yeah, now, you know, it's not making any weird noises. I'm not <laughs> sure if I should turn this thing on properly or not. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that is all. established the baseline for the polygraph. Yeah, that established okay. the baseline awesome. right there. That's right. Um, 
What is the uh, extremely fantastic, excellent beer that we're going to be celebrating this week? It's our new beer. Uh, I think every time we have a new beer come out, we're going to drink it on the pod. So here we are. It's Slam Dank. Okay. Um, this has been a question that a lot of people have asked since we released this beer. Why is it called Slam Dank? Dank is a word used to describe beers of this type. And we were trying to come up with a bunch of dank puns. The dank night rises. Yeah, Dr. Dankenstein. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. And in the chat that we had at some point, Yohei the Brew at Idrisil, uh, where we made the beer, uh, just posted Slam Dank. And it was very much a turn off the lights, let's go home. That's a thread killer. Right. Like, job done. You know, no one needs to offer any more suggestions after that. Slam Dunk, of course. Slam Dunk, of course. If you don't know, is a very famous uh, Japanese manga about a high school basketball team, incredibly popular in its day, which was what the mid '90s, early aughts. I'm not sure. It was 20 years ago now. I have no idea. It's something like that. It was a while ago, but very, very, very popular series uh, that a lot of people have a lot of close kind of childhood memories of reading in their in their teenage years. I guess. Did you ever read any uh, manga, any comic books, Frank? Not a big manga fan at no. all. I spent a lot of time in Japan, but uh, manga was never my focus here. Hmm. What about other comic books? When you were growing up, I used to read Asterix books. That's a very European kind of comic uh, book. I never really got into comic books, but uh, once I was in my adult years, I got into the uh, Dark Tower comic books. Mm. So if you're familiar with the Dark Tower series of books by Stephen King. Yeah. Graphic yeah, novels. The graphic version. novels. Interesting. There you go. All right. That's kind of what got me into comic books, and that's pretty much where my... Uh, endeavors in the comic books start and finish okay right i've got all of them so none of us have read slam dunk (laughs) 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 really know anything about the comic book but we do know that it is it's about teamwork and like they they do you know that do you know that is it about a basketball team who cheat in all the contests that they team and you know they feel good about working hard i'm imagining there's going to be some kind of tearful declarations at the end as they usually are in this kind of thing there's a tough guy who seems like he doesn't care about anybody but in the end it turns out he really cares about his teammates he's just searching for a family so it's the story of Sakamichi Brewing then. Yeah, basically. Um, but told more poorly. We do know that it is a cultural touchstone mm. for a lot of Japanese right. people. Um, but other than the dankness, it doesn't really have anything to do with the beer. Um, what kind of beer is Slam Dank? It's a, it's a dank double IPA. It's, a, it's actually a single hop double IPA mm. that only uses Chinook hops, which is one of the dankiest of dank hops. We could do, I mean, our resident guest, Danko, Dank Danko, Drank Dranko, Frank. All, uh, Man, it, I thought it was it in all, there, but... It all applies. It didn't really yeah. work Frank out Danko. for me. Frank Danko, Frank Danko drink, 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 drink Dranko. Yeah, Frank Frank. Have you ever yes, brewed yeah. with Chinook hops? I have not brewed with Chinook hops, no. You understand so, them? You had a beer with them? You understand what they I, taste yes, like? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. It's a bit dank. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what, one of... Is it one of the five C's? think so one of the kind of five classic american sea hops Mm. um anyway it's uh it's double ipa it's uh single hopped with chinook 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 uh we're gonna say uh why don't we just dive into it Welcome back. I'm joined at the table by Daniel Bellamy and Frank Danko to discuss this Slam Dank double IPA 
that uh, we made in collaboration with our friends at Idrisil and our friends at Shiokaze Brewing. Dan, you've just poured some directly into your nose. How does that be a smell? This is my new, my new uh, sensory technique. Yep. Inhale it. Yep. Directly you, up the nose. Did it get danked in there? Uh, <laughs> if I had to describe this one word, this beer in one word, it would be dank. Mm. Uh, well, I don't if know you if people saw in, that in more than one word. <laughs> really dank. Um, I, it's it's a, it's a it's a tough one. We had a can of beer in here today that uh, a customer brought in to share with us, and it was from a pretty major American brewery. And it was, uh, I would say, an extremely dank West Coast triple IPA. Yeah. Perhaps because of the ABV, it was quite high octane. But these are words I don't think I ever thought I would say in my life. It was too dank for me. <laughs> uh, it was really, I, f- I felt that beer. Like, you know, we, we, we shared it amongst a bunch of people, so we didn't have a lot of it each. But I almost felt like it kind of coated my tongue. It was yeah. so thick. We ran it through the Dankometer, and I've never seen readings that high. <laughs> Dank level 2000. It was. It was incredible. Uh, this beer, I feel like, achieves high levels of Dank without going over the top with the Dankitude. And uh, it's much more pleasant for that. I also find when I tasted this one initially, I'm getting a little bit less of it now, but when I tasted it initially, it was a little bit sweet. Mm. And... Uh, I taste a little bit less of that now, but maybe that's because I'm more familiar with it. But I feel like that uh, balanced it quite a bit and made it much more drinkable. It's 8%. It's a double IPA. Right. So it's not light beer at all. But I really felt like the uh, the sweetness that came along with the dankness, they kind of balanced each other out in a way that I think made it much more drinkable than a very dank 8% IPA would normally be. Both sweet and dank. Mm. So a swank, swank. A swank yeah. beer. A swank beer. Basically. Interesting. Frank, how about you? Yeah, so for me, this is an interesting beer, right? So on the, so on the, on the nose, it's kind of like an inviting dankness. So it's kind of, uh, doesn't on the nose itself, doesn't stay true to the slam dankness. It's, it's really a uh, mystery. Right. And it invites you in. Kind of like someone who's going up from the three-point line. You kind of fakes fakes the three point. Mm, yeah. It's a shot fake. Right? It's a shot yeah. fake. Okay, right? Chamber, and then, and then you go in and I'll, and I'll take a sip here, right? And it punches you really quick. Right? Kind of like a fake out. Okay. And then he goes in, goes past the guard, and he swings in, boom, there's the dankness. Slam dank. Right. In your face. And then it finishes nice and clean, finish, no celebration. Hey, I'm here and I'm finished. Great drink. That was a uh, basketball talk, wasn't it? That was good. That was wasted that was on good. me. <laughs> we've, never, we've never done anything like that before. Um, what, what are we doing with this podcast? Can you delete all the previous episodes? There were previous episodes of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Frank Franco, Dank Danko, we, Drink Dranko yeah. might have that effect on your podcast thanks, sometimes. Thanks, Dank. We know why we invited you in here now. Uh, I feel like the dankness kind of hangs on the rim a little bit. This is also basketball. No, no, I got it. <laughs> it hangs around a little. Don't you think? Not in an unpleasant way. Not this kind of like coating your tongue kind of way, but it lingers a bit, I think, in the back. It is uh, possibly the biggest beer that we've ever made in mm-hmm. terms of a uh, flavor profile. Um, ordinarily, I would say that crushability is our watchword. And this is maybe one of the less crushable beers that we've made. Mm-hmm. But it is an 8% beer. And you could quite easily have, I've seen people have three or even four glasses of it in a session yeah so 
it may not be quite as crushable as an Oli Cohen or a Shibasaki session, but uh, it's certainly for for its ABV, you can put it away. Thank yeah. you. You you look like you have a point to make. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there that uh, this is not quite backboard shattering, mm. but definitely a crowd pleaser. Okay, that was a real buzzer beater. <laughs> <laughs> in what way? That uh, I was going to move on, but then he came oh, in with okay. another comment right before right. I did. Yeah, right, incredible. Uh, Will Chamberlain. <laughs> <laughs> Will the stilt. I, I do remember some of the things. Uh, we once had a, a basketball-themed episode where Dan quizzed me on, uh, on basketball things. You uh, nailed me. You were great. Uh, we, we've never reversed that. We've never had a, a cricket quiz for That's you. True. But uh, we'll have to rectify that at some mm. point in the future. That's not what we're going to do today, though. Uh, in fact, what we are going to do is to pair this beer. As you know, Frank Danko, uh, every episode when we drink beer... We also like to spin the wheel of pairings and pair it with one of eight things, although, of course, it can't be the two from the most recent episodes, which were... Last week was Wild Card. I think it could be Wild Card like, again. Sure, yeah, why not? Okay. Uh, so it's kind of like a free throw. Yep, again, okay. in what way? In that... Because uh, famously, with the free throw, you're free to throw the ball wherever you want, right? That's, that's right. the whole point of a free throw. You could you could chuck it into the audience. You could, like, bounce it into somebody's face. You could bounce the ball into your own nuts. That, that's that's what a free throw is, right? <laughs> you can do that with any shot. <laughs> Those options are all available to you. But why is it called a free you throw? Have you ever seen me play basketball? <laughs> Actually, no. Uh, and two weeks ago, we had music. Okay, so it's not going to be music. So not music, but everything else is on the table. Let's roll the dice and see what we're going to get. Number seven, drinking companion. So if you had to sit and enjoy a glass of Slam Dank with somebody, um, which era of Wilt Chamberlain would it be? And uh, what would you be? What would you be listening to as you drank it? I, I get. Um, who are you going to share this beer with? Who wants to go first? Um, I feel like this beer is a little bit of a throwback in a few ways. Um, mm. You tend not to see beers of this color that much anymore. It's a, especially IPAs. It's a, a kind of a caramelly color. Um, Chinook to me feels a bit like a kind of a throwback hop. Mm. It's not one that you see that much. And the double IPA, it might be having a bit of a resurgence at the moment, but to me, that's a kind of, you know, a, a 90s era beer. They might have been called Imperial IPAs back then. Um, but I feel like all of these things would be very popular with uh, the American homebrewer of sort of when homebrewing first became a thing in America. So I think that's 70s? A, late 70s. I think Jimmy mm. Carter legalized it. Right. So late 70s, early 80s. Um, and so I would like to, to share a glass of this with, and I'm going to butcher this name, Charlie Papazian. Mm, Charles okay. Papazian. Sure. The author of um, some how-to homebrewing books. The, the, sort joy, of, of the Bible. joy of, yeah, joy of, of homebrewing. Yeah. So many homebrewers got started by reading his books and his, uh, his advice of relax, don't worry, mm. have a homebrew. Have a homebrew. Just enjoy it. And um, I, I think that this is... Hopefully, a beer that he would enjoy. Maybe it would be a bit of a throwback to uh, the kind of beers that were popular when he was getting into the hobby. And I'm sure he would be an absolutely fascinating person to talk to as well. I've stunned you both into silence. I was too busy listening to your answer to think of my own. I, I still need to work on the technique that you have where you just tune me completely the fuck out and think of your own answer. I'm while sorry, I ramble. Saying? <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this listening and paying attention is for the birds. What a pain in the ass. 
Frank Danko? You know, you kind of took the, the wind out of my sails there a bit there with the, uh, the Charlie Papazian. It's not a basketball uh, analogy. Not at all. That's, back uh, that's back, not back a into fishing. Not a goal, into sailing, no, fishing and nautical yeah. sailing, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, once upon a time. It was a bit of a caught answer. It was a bit of a mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So, really cut my nets down. Cut, that's right. Cut. There you go. That's a good one. March Madness. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's baiting you. <laughs> I'm priming you. I'm sowing the seeds. Hmm. You're reeling me in? <laughs> no, goddammit. <laughs> Who would you like to drink this beer with? <laughs> ah, that's a good one. Maybe uh, Jimmy Carter himself, right? Okay. Wow. So, okay. given the, uh, the nature, it was like Jimmy Carter's brother, A-list. something you said, right, that uh, helped get homebrewing uh, legalized? Well, I think it was Jimmy Carter, when he was president, who signed the, the law that, that legalized it. I, I don't know the full ins and outs of it. Right. I think it was, there was, a, yeah, there was a brother or stepbrother, a relative that said, hey, Jimmy Carter, we need to make this thing legal. Okay. So whoever that guy was. Okay, so not, like, not Jimmy Carter Not Jimmy himself, Carter himself. Who is still alive, whoever, by the way. Right. And he still makes houses. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he outlived uh, uh, the, the actress. He outlived that rabbit that tried to murder him. <laughs> That's the only other <laughs> thing I know about Jimmy Carter. A rabbit tried to I'm murder him? I'm not familiar yeah. with that story. He was in a boat in a swamp, and a giant swamp rabbit attacked him and tried to murder him. Can you explain giant swamp rabbit? I don't think I need to. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing, having a hard time figuring out how to break that down any more simply for you. It's, it's a giant rabbit that lives in a swamp. It's a giant swamp rabbit okay. trying to kill him. All right. Was this in England somewhere? No, this happens in America. I'm sure this kind of thing happens in America all the, the time. swamp rabbit. You're always losing presidents. Is that confused with an alligator? It was a rabbit. It was a giant swamp rabbit. Look it up. It's a genuine thing that happened. I guarantee it. So uh, Jimmy Carter's brother, uh, you would like to enjoy a beer with. Right. To understand... What his thoughts on this would be? I think this would be quite uh, a nice uh, sort of little drinking party. You, me, Jimmy Carter's brother. And Jimmy and, Carter. And Jimmy Carter. Sure, he can come along if he wants. And, and Charlie Papazian. And the Swamp Rabbits. You know, it's going to be like the, uh, the when uh, Obama had the security guard and that uh, professor over the beer summit, right? We're going to settle this bad blood between the Swamp Rabbits and Jimmy Carter once and for all. We're all going to have some nice homebrew. Charlie Papazian's going to be there. He's going to say, hey, rabbits, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew. I'm rambling. Dan, who do you want to drink this beer with? <laughs> I agree with you. This is a bit of a throwback beer. It's a bit of a throwback IPA. It goes back to kind of like, pro- yeah, probably early homebrew days, but also um, I think when when craft beer started becoming more of a well-known thing, you're talking like mid to late 80s, early 90s. Right. This was the kind of IPA that was produced. Uh so I'm also, uh, I would like to drink this beer with the, uh, all of the people who built the, the James Webb Space Telescope. Okay. All of them? Yes. That's thousands of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I'm bringing all of them. We're going to need a showed up with one person each and a rabbit. Uh, I'm going to show up with thousands of scientists. Frank showed up with two people, to be fair. That's true, yeah. Uh... In much the same way as this beer looks back through history, mm. the, the, James, like the James Webb Space Telescope uh, looks back through the history of the universe. We're right. looking back through the, the history, the universe of craft beer. Uh, but uh, I would bring all of them in and say, hey, thanks. Amazing achievement. It is pretty incredible, that telescope. What uh, kind of beer do you think the James Webb 
space telescope would look back and see. I mean, whatever the progenitor of this one is, right? Like whatever, what's before this? What influenced this? What beer did you have when you were like 11 as a, as a ne'er-do-well English youth? I think it was probably a McEwen's export that was given to me by my dad. Right. So that's that. we have that beer to thank for this one. Okay. That's uh, possibly the next brewing project that we need to take mm. on then. Probably much better than what Dan and I had in our youth at 11. Well, what, what were you drinking? At 11? Uh, it, it might have been a Bud Light or mm. but King of Beers. Whatever I could get my hands on it. Yeah. I mean, I think I had my first beer at 13. I'm pretty sure it was a Miller Lite. Yeah. My uncles something. may or may not have given me a sip of something, and it was the King of Beers. Sips of beers, yeah, yeah, something along those lines. I had a can of Bud Light recently. I went to the American base for the Friendship mm. Festival, and culture. my first time in my life, I drank a can of Bud Light. And I have to say, it was remarkable. Like it tasted of nothing. It was so. It was very cold, and it was very refreshing. Feel well hydrated. Hot day. Yeah, so it was like a. It had electrolytes. It's got what plants crave. <laughs> I drank it. I was like, yeah. That. How do you manage to mass produce something with so little flavor? And immediately it was thank you, sir. Can I have another? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good pairings this mm. week. Um, thank you. Thank you to everyone there. We we've mentioned homebrewing a few times during our discussion here. Uh, Which of course. No one does in Japan. It is illegal in Japan. Let's open this discussion by saying that none of us here have ever done homebrewing in Japan. But, Frank Franco, you are uh, a homebrewer in, uh, back in, in America, right? Or in, in the, the territory of America. In the territories of America? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, yeah. What do you tell us about your homebrewing experience? So, I'm uh, still relatively short for homebrewing. Only about six, seven beers, six, seven batches under my belt. But uh, I've done a variety of styles, farmhouse ales, quarters, stouts, uh, red IPAs, IPAs. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've got an all-in-one type of system at the house uh, in, uh, in the territories. And uh, I enjoy it very much, and I'm looking forward to getting back to it here uh, in a couple of days. What is uh, something that surprised you about the process of making beer? How much cleaning is involved, right? Right. <laughs> Brewing is 90% cleaning, <laughs> yes. It makes a lot of mess. Yeah, yeah a janitor that uh, brews beer sometimes, right? Yeah. Right, right. Um, th- that is surprising. What, what, was there anything about the way that you had to treat the ingredients or the way that um, the fermentation uh, proceeded or so on that, that, that took you by surprise? Uh, not so much. So I, I, I sat on um, purchasing all of the equipment for quite a while. Okay. Did a lot of homework, saved up a lot of money, and uh, bought the equipment that would allow me to have as much control over all of that as possible. Right. So there would be um, very low chance to things like contamination, etc., temperature control, whatever, so that uh, I would be able to produce the best beer possible um, as early as possible. Most people start homebrewing on, on real basic kind of cobbled together systems, but it sounds like your rig is, your setup is, is pretty serious, right? Yes, uh, it is. Um, so I was very fortunate to be living in San Diego at the time when I started homebrewing. Mm. Uh, I was hanging out at a local brewery and the owner at the time said, hey, I need some help. Do you know anybody? And said, hey, I've got some free time. I know me. I know, I know me. So I learned how to brew on a commercial system. All right, so he, uh, the owner of that brewery, he had all this stuff laying in the corner, and he said, hey, take this stuff and go start making beer. So I did, and um, everything worked out great. Ordered a couple homebrew kits, 
and the beer tasted amazing, bottled it, and got quickly tired of bottling, and decided whenever it was that I was uh, going to be able to get a nice system that would allow me to go from system to keg, I was going to do it. And so I only did a couple of brews with uh, where I bottled stuff, and then everything after that was straight to kegs. What does the process look like for buying the ingredients as a home brewer? Do you just walk into a shop and pick that stuff up? Fortunately, for where I'm at, there's a... Uh, a brew pub that also has a homebrew shop. Oh, nice. So I can walk into mm-hmm. that space on Guam and get all my ingredients, you know, extra equipment. If I'm, if I'm short a part or something that I can walk in there and, and get something during the normal business mm-hmm. hours. So, and they sell hops, they sell malt hops, too. they sell malt, they sell wow. grain, they sell nice. your adjuncts, most of your adjuncts and everything. So, and, um, Hawaii is close enough and there's a, a homebrew shop there in Hawaii to where if we really need something, they've, we can get it from there as well. Hmm. If they're brewing as well, then they might even have spare yeast that they're pulling off a beer that they would just be throwing down the drain um, that they might uh, might see fit to, to donate to a local home brewer. I haven't explored that yet, hmm. but that's uh, probably an option. But for now, it's all dry yeast. Right, right. It's uh, that, that really just comes down to timing, right? You have to right. be making the beer and be able to go and pick up the yeast exactly when they are getting rid of it and when you need it. You need to match those two things up. That's great. Yeah, I, I'm curious about this because obviously there is a whole industry around homebrewing in the States and in the UK as well. Um, a few times recently when I've been to the UK, I've been to homebrewing stores there and it's a business that generates profit and generates uh, tax revenue for the tax office as well. And so part of the reason why homebrewing is illegal, and let me just reiterate, none of us do homebrewing here. Mm. Well, part of the reason why it is illegal in Japan is because the tax office haven't figured out how to get their cut of the booze. Um, but there's money to be made there, right, from, from the stores that are selling all of the ingredients and, and all of the equipment as well. And as you find out, some of that stuff isn't cheap. So why do you think homebrewing is still illegal in Japan? There's just not enough political momentum or pressure to, to make it legal. Like, where is that going to come from? It's an illegal activity. So any, any regular person pushing to make it legal, theoretically, is probably partaking in an illegal activity. So there's no momentum to like legalize marijuana, right? There's not, there's not a, a large majority of people that are breaking that law and are willing to kind of push for these things to become legal. And I think homebrewing is a similar way. Like, sure, it goes on in Japan. We obviously don't do it, but sure, it happens. But are those people going to stand up and say, hey, let's make this change. This should be legal. Like, you know, is there there any other benefit other than just like it shouldn't be illegal? I don't think it would be people who are doing the homebrewing. I think it would be people who want to sell homebrewing goods. Sure. Like, who is that? It's there's not it's not a large number of people. But I don't think it it would necessarily take a large number of people. I mean, uh, there probably wasn't a huge groundswell of homebrewing going on in America before it became legalized, right? It kind of exploded after that. So where did that momentum come from? Perhaps Jimmy Carter's brother, after he's finished having his beer with you, needs to come over here and get in the ear of uh, the the Prime Minister. Swamp Rabbit, please. Um, it, it, It could be as simple as somebody getting in the right room with the right person and just bending their ear for half an hour Mm. to create that kind of momentum. I think these kind of changes can come from very small incremental um, bits of influence. 
Well, I mean, I kind of think just like it was with the United States with Jimmy Carter's brother, it may take something like that where you have a friend of a friend or family member who says like, hey, we should make this legal because of these reasons. And like, oh, hey, that makes sense. Nepotism. You know, nepotism. There you go. Yeah. Such is the way of Guam. Maybe uh, maybe we just need to unleash a plague of giant swamp rabbits across Japan. Uh, who's to say that those two things are not connected? First, Jimmy Carter almost gets murdered by a giant swamp rabbit. Next, he legalizes homebrewing. You know? Is it some kind of, like, threat? Like, we'll call them off once homebrewing is legal. Now, I'm not going to say it's a threat, because that would be illegal. But mm-hmm. I'm also not going to say it's not a threat. Right. Which is totally legal. Uh... Frank, any final thoughts about uh, homebrewing, things you enjoy about it, things you look forward to about a brew day? So looking forward to the brew day, um, really just uh, the, the whole planning part of it and spending time creating something that other people can enjoy, mm. as I'm sure you guys understand, right? Sure. So that's, that's, that's really the gist of it. It's you a know, creative it's, endeavor, isn't it? You're creating creative. something from nothing, uh, just assembling a bunch of random raw ingredients and then a month later a delicious beverage comes out to them delicious beverage and then you get to see other people enjoy that because obviously if you're even even if you're doing you know 10 gallon batches which is usually what i'm doing um you're not going to drink all 10 ball- 10 gallons of that yourself right so right not if jimmy carter's in town in <laughs> then also you get to uh come up with a silly name for it as well which is really the the crowning glory of the only reason i'm doing this yeah <laughs> Thank you very much for joining. This has been a really interesting conversation. Uh, and who knows, maybe you're going to steal that crown and become the guestingest guest. It's a, it's a hotly contested leaderboard at the moment. Watch out, Mac. Watch out, Tyler. There's a new sheriff in town. Dan, do we have anything coming up in the fridge this weekend that you think people should know about? Oh, man, do we ever. Uh, there's two beers coming in, actually, that we're pretty stoked about. One is... Uh, the new release for the Stone Enjoy By series, which is the October 31st, the Halloween Enjoy By. We're getting that in this Friday. Uh, the idea is to drink that beer as fresh as possible. I'm pretty sure that Nagano Trading flies that one over now to make sure that uh, it hits the shelves with enough time for people to buy it and, and, uh, and drink it as fresh as they can get it. So we're getting that one in on Friday. That should be really good. All right. So it's all gone by Saturday. Yep. It's a hazy double, I think. It's like 9.4 or 9.7%. It's a big beer. Uh, And then also, uh, we're getting another Modern Times beer. We haven't had Modern Times in for a while in cans. It's called Chameleon Suit. Okay. Uh, And like a lot of their kind of one-off or seasonal releases, it has a real uh, funky Art Deco kind of design can, uh, geometric repeating kind of thing. I love their... their, uh, their can art on their, their seasonals and their one-offs. So yeah, hot. Yep. that is also a hazy IPA. So sorry, Chris Poole at Shiokaze, uh, double hazies inbound. You don't have to drink them, I guess. What are you talking about? Chris Poole is uh, Japan's biggest haze, haze crazer. He, oh, he loves hazy he loves beers. The haze. He, he doesn't drink anything else. He was telling me just the other day, he was like, your pilsners, you can keep them. Porter, I don't care for it. It's all hazies all, all the hazies time. All hazies for me. That's all I drink. That must explain the hazers for life tattoo I saw on his forearm. The yep. inside of his forearm so he can look at it when he wakes up in the you morning. You should see his tramp stamp. Wow, okay. <laughs> well, uh, both of those sound excellent. Uh, look out for more information about them uh, coming up uh, this weekend. 
Uh, thanks again for joining us, Frank. It's been a real pleasure chatting Frank, to you. Frank, yeah. thanks, thanks for having me. It's thanks, been great. everybody, for listening. Uh, stay safe, and we'll see you again next time. Have a good evening, everybody. Stay dank. Stay dank.